Brother versus brother, man versus whale, and Jesus versus the world. Welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. My name is Keith, and this is Brandon, and we are pastors here in Santa Cruz, California at Gospel Community Church. Welcome, like, subscribe, comment, gets the gospel out there and helps our church out. Um, Brandon, we are continuing through the Minor Prophets today, are we not? That's right, that's right. You know, I'm trying to take a sip of this, this tea here, but somebody um, filled up my tea and filled it to the very top. So here's, here's what happened. Keith um, filled my tea, and he filled it like to halfway. No, like a complete at least three quarters away. Completely. So I you no, to it was two thirds at tea. best. Flavorful and then cup I said, of tea. Fill it up, and so he filled it up to the brim, and now it's just everywhere. Well, so I just wanted you to, f- to I, feel my pain. I, I gave you what you asked for. These are the these are the dramatic things that happen in our office. Yes, um, we are in the minor prophets. They are minor <laughs> in size, but they are major in heart and uh, their love for the Lord, and yes. they're important. They are very important. Well. You know, some of them are not as important, but it's all scripture. It's all scripture. <laughs> Obadiah, it's hard to argue that Obadiah is like, you know, the central text of scripture, but these are the 12, right? These, these are one book in Hebrew, mm-hmm. in the Hebrew Bible. So for us, we've split them into the 12 different books, right? which is fine, you know, 12 different authors. So um, yeah, we're going to, we're going to, we're just blazing through these books. And so some we're going to cover more in depth. So today we're going to focus on three books. We'll focus more on one, but, um, it's just how we, you know, we got limited time here. So we're yeah. trying to give you an overview of the reading for this week. And it is, man, it is late in the year, right? We're getting to the end of the year here. So we're close. It's very exciting stuff. Well, yeah, we've almost got through the entire Old Testament. It's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. It's awesome. The finish line is so close. Well, let's start with Obadiah, shall we? All right, yeah. Let's start with Obadiah. Well, and we'll just take this very quickly. Obadiah is the shortest book in the Old Testament, you may have, may have noticed. Mm-hmm. Testament, what did I say? Um, so Obadiah means... Servant of Yahweh. So it's just a one-chapter book, very short. Not the shortest book in the whole Bible, but shortest in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And basically what it's about is it's about brother versus brother. It's about sibling warfare. So it's about Israel's war and feud with the nation of Edom. Mm. We've heard about Edom before. Yes, you have to go way back into your memory to remember Edom because this goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. Mm. Right, Edom are the people that came from Esau. Mm. Right, Edom means red stuff. If, because if my he, memory is jogged correctly, God did not like Esau. Yes, that's true. Hmm. Sorry, I have to sit my tea very carefully here. <laughs> very carefully, or the Bible will be ruined. <laughs> so Edom as a nation, right, that's the sentence of Esau. So Esau was the brother of Jacob. Jacob became Israel. Right. Esau became Edom. So these are neighboring nations. Mm-hmm. Edom is in where, Edom's where modern-day Jordan would be. So it's okay. part of, not the entirety. So you have Moab, Edom are on that side of the Jordan River, Okay, if you look at a map today. So so there had been a war between Israel and Edom, and, and Edom had defeated Israel. Um, so this is in Second Chronicles 21. So if you want to go back and read this, Second Chronicles 21. And so there's this warfare between brothers, and God is going to bring judgment on Edom because of what they have done. Mm-hmm. Right? They've enslaved and pillaged and killed their sibling. And this this text, which is focusing on Edom, is going to then eventually point to, at the very end, it's going to point to final salvation and final judgment. So it provides a little picture of, of the end. So it's very, I mean, we have a lot of references to Edom in the major prophets, right? A lot of prophecies. So it kind of reminds you of some of that, like in Ezekiel and Isaiah and things like that. So, so what do you think? Should we get into the text? 
Let's give it's a short one. Yep. Short one. Um, so we see this starting off, you know, this vision of, of Obadiah. And we see that Edom is, pr- is prideful because of where they live. So verse 3, the pride of your heart has deceived you, you who lives in the clefts of the rock in your lofty dwelling. So it, the Edomites lived in the cliffs. So they had these cliff cities, very secure, mm-hmm. right? Very hard to, to lay siege to, to attack. If you remember the um, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Favorite movie. Right. No, no, wait. Which, which is the one where they go into that, that city in the cliff? Temple of Doom. No, 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 no. No, that's no, Raiders of the Lost into, Ark. Raiders of the Lost Ark? Okay. Yeah. So that when they go into no, that wait. temple where it's carved out of the rock, that's Petra. The whole, is, there, is that the Holy Grail? That's the Holy Grail. I think that's the, that's the yeah, Last like, Crusade. That's what Last it's called. Last Crusade, that's it. That's it, that's it. So yeah, yeah, when they go into that temple that's carved into the rock, that's, mm-hmm. called, that's called Petra. So that's in, it's ah, one yes. of the Edomite cities. So um, now that's only like 10 feet deep is what I understand. So it's not like a huge cavernous temple. Wait, my whole childhood has been in ruins yeah, just now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a really beautiful facade, but I, I, maybe not 10 feet. I don't know. I haven't been there personally. When I was in Israel, I chose to go to Egypt instead of going to to uh, Jordan. So probably a good choice. I heard oh, it's not that fun. But yeah. So anyway, so that's what that's where they lived in those in those cliffs, and so they felt very secure. And so God is saying that's not going to keep you secure. I, I love verse 4. It's pretty great. Though you soar aloft like an eagle, though your nest is set among the stars... From there, I will bring you down, declares right. the Lord. That's right. You're going to be torn down mm. in judgment. So mm. now God brings a charge against them. Verse 10, because of the violence done against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you and you should be cut off forever. So you have attacked your sibling. That's going to bring God's judgment. Verse 12, he says, but do not gloat over the day of your brother and the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. So... You're, they're gloating over this, that they have defeated Israel, mm-hmm. and yet judgment is going to come. And so he brings up verse 15, that key phrase we've heard so many times, for the day of the Lord mm-hmm. is near upon all the nations. So the day of the Lord is coming. There's a day of judgment coming. This is realized sort of incrementally throughout history, right? There's days that point to that final judgment. Mm-hmm. There's days that are reminiscent or, or, or foreshadow, I guess you should say, the final judgment. But the day of the Lord is speaking to the final judgment, uh, ultimately. And so that's going to come. And when that judgment happens, God's going to bring salvation and dominion to the whole earth. So the book ends on this interesting note of restoration and salvation. Mm-hmm. So look at verse 20. The exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath, and the exiles of Jerusalem, who are in Sepharad, shall possess the cities of the Negev. Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion, to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. So God's kingdom will be established. Salvation will come, and it'll come through these these saviors, right? So people who are the people of the Messiah, most likely is what it's talking about, are going to go out and bring salvation, and God will rule over all the kingdoms of the earth, including Edom. Mm. So just an interesting little snapshot. Again, we don't need to spend too much time in this, but that's what Obadiah is all about. Obadiah's name means servant of the Lord. Right, and he's speaking to the the judgment that comes upon Edom as enemies of Israel, and the fact that God will it points to God's ultimate salvation and judgment. Right. So I think that's probably enough for the Book of Obadiah. But yeah, it's a good it's a good book. It's a good little book. Awesome. Underrated. Well, well next book um, you may have heard the story before. Jonah. Mm-hmm. Whales. Yeah, whales. Oh man. Angry prophet. For sure. Yeah. yeah. So Jonah, man, so such a good book. And I want to spend more time on Jonah. 
It is so famous, but I think a lot of times it's not understood well. So Jonah is still a short book. It's only four chapters, Mm -hmm. but an incredible book. And Jonah stands out because all of the all the prophets really their their books are comprised mostly of prophecy, Mm -hmm. (laughs) understandably so. Jonah only has five words of prophecy Mm -hmm. in Hebrew, so it's very strange. Uh, Just a few words in English, and they don't really. They're not powerful. They don't really make, make any sense. In fact, they don't even come true. <laughs> so it's very, very strange. The prophecy of the book of Jonah is the prophet Jonah. Hmm. He is the picture. He is the lesson. And God is teaching us through him. Mm-hmm. So Jonah is a, a holy prophet. He's someone who's already been um, revered in Israel's history. We see him in 2 Kings 14, 25. 2 Kings 14, 25. He's, he prophesied the expansion of Israel's borders, their victory, their, their reign over the, you know, their entire, entire uh, borders. And this holy prophet who had a great ministry is sent to a hated people. Mm-hmm. He's sent to a hated people. He's sent to the Ninevites. The Ninevites were known for their cruelty, right? They're Assyrians. Right. Nineveh is one of the key cities of Assyria. The Ninevites and the Assyrians were horrible people who would do awful things to their enemies. They were brutal like like really no one else in the ancient world. Yeah. I mean, they really made brutality an art form. I assume they killed babies too. Uh, yeah, they killed babies. They flayed people alive, to- took their skin off and hung it over their city walls. They piled up the skulls of their enemies in, in pile. I mean, they were just awful terrorists. Um, that's, you know, the best thing I can credit to is you know, I don't know, ISIS or Taliban or what, whatever. These, these are the worst of the worst. And so Jonah is sent to them. And he sent to them at a time where this is right before the fall of Israel. So he's from the northern kingdom. His nation's about to fall. And God sends him on a holy mission to a hated people. Oh. It doesn't make any sense. And so, of course, Jonah runs. Jonah mm-hmm. runs. So he goes to Tarshish. You see this in <coughs> chapter 1, verse 3. Mm-hmm. He gets up. He runs away. And he doesn't want to go on God's mission. So we see that Jonah is going to be a picture of Israel and their mission to the world, and the fact that they've neglected that mission, and God's calling them to repent and to to follow his commands, right? To, to right. obey his mission, to be that kingdom of priests that reaches out to the world, mm-hmm. world and, and brings salvation to all people. But he's also a picture of individual response, right? We can, we can see ourselves in this too. God calls you to go east to Nineveh, you go west to Tarshish. Right. I mean, Tarshish was the farthest west city in, in the Jewish imagination, mm-hmm. right? So go as far west as you can right. is the idea. And so he's going, he's running from God. And we see a, just something to notice as you're reading that there's a, there's some repeated phrases. So the word great is used a lot. Right. That's an interesting word. You can definitely underline that when you see it. Um, the word appointed is used a lot, showing God's control over these circumstances. Mm-hmm. So, so notice that. And notice the interplay between... Jonah and non-believers, mm-hmm. Jonah and pagans. Who's who's the righteous one, right? Who's who's doing what God commands? Right. It's it's a very fascinating book. So yeah, let's just go through it a little bit. So we see that verse four of chapter one, God sends a wind. So Jonah's running from God, and God sends a great wind and a mighty tempest, so that the ship threatened to break up. Verse five, the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. So. The mariners know, they understand that this, this storm is so intense. Mm-hmm. There's a supernatural power behind it. So they do what's natural, which is they start to practice their religion, mm-hmm. right? They cry out to their gods. Not only that, but they, they hurl things into the, into the sea. Mm-hmm. They're, they're working very hard. They're 
trying to be religious or trying to do something to save themselves from the storm, right. from this divine attack and judgment against them right. for an unknown reason. But Jonah, it says, verse 5, had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. Mm-hmm. So he's sleeping. He is, I don't know, feeling fine, or maybe he's just really exhausted. Um, but obviously this is a strange thing to be doing in a, in a raging storm. Right. And so the captain comes down and rebukes him. Verse mm-hmm. 6, right? What are you doing? <laughs> Call out to your God. Your God might save us, right? right? If you have a God, you should be calling to him. You should be asking for salvation. And so we see right away here, right? The, the sailors and the captain mm-hmm. both understand what's happening better than Jonah does. And they're responding better than Jonah is. Right. Right. Jo- Jonah's going to show he knows what's happening. He knows that it's because of him. But, but we see a rebuke from these pagans. And then, then they, they cast lots. They lot falls on Jonah, showing that he is guilty. Right. So God allows in his sovereignty to control the casting of lots mm-hmm. to show who's guilty. And they start to question him, interrogate him. Right. And he, he tells them, verse, verse uh, 9. He said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And they get upset because they understand they knew from, I guess, from previous conversations that Jonah had been fleeing from God. Right. <laughs> so, so they're afraid. And, and it's an interesting play here, right? So Jonah says, I fear God. I'm a, I'm a holy man. I'm a reverent man. I fear and worship God. And yet he's not the one who's actually afraid. Mm-hmm. That's all talk. The ones who are actually afraid are the sailors. Right. So there's this, there's this contrast again. Mm-hmm. Who, is the, who is actually righteous? The pagans are more righteous than the holy prophet. Mm-hmm. And so they strive hard. Right. He says, you have, you have to cast me into the sea to, to stop the storm. And so they, they row hard. They try very hard to not do that. And eventually they, they have to. And so they pray to God asking for forgiveness. And then verse 15, it says, They picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. <laughs> so Jonah is thrown into the sea. I, I do love the fact that Jonah can't just walk over and jump. <laughs> like he's a perfectly functional guy from all appearances. Or just just relax and let himself be thrown off of this, this ship. Right. He has to make them do it. Right. It's kind of, I think it's kind of messed up. <laughs> but they do it, and they actually fear God, and they come to some sort of faith in God. Right. They, they trust in the Lord. So Jonah, even as he's abandoning his mission and running from his mission, is bringing salvation to people yeah, God's by the sovereignty God's of God. Sovereign, yeah, yeah exactly. absolutely. And so verse 17, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Okay, what kind of fish was this? This was, um, I, I have no idea. I was going to try to make something up, but I, I don't really know fish. I, I always think of narwhal. Yeah, yeah, there you go. You got stabbed first, and then um, <laughs> I always think of Pinocchio, you oh, yeah. know, when they're in Monstro, mm-hmm. like like how that's definitely not how it was, you know? <laughs> it's like this massive, massive ca- cavern inside of this, this uh, yeah, like whale. Fire going or whatever. So whatever, I mean, you know, there's lots of theories on it, but this is... This is miraculous. Right. I mean, the fact that a fish, you know, God, if God controls the fish to do it is miraculous. And then how he's kept alive in there, we just don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. he definitely could have been in these digestive juices and just looked really messed up afterwards. That's right. probably likely. But, <laughs> but yeah, we don't have to, you know, figure out every detail of this. But he's in there for three days and three nights. That's pretty horrible. Yes. And then we see him praying in chapter two. And he, his prayer culminates in this realization that 
God is the one who's in control of salvation. So the key phrase, the key, um, yeah, the key, key phrase for the entire book, really, is in verse 9. Who says, well, I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs mm. to the Lord. So salvation belongs to the Lord. That's the key to Jonah. That's the key, I mean, really to the whole Bible, right. you, could, you could argue. God is the one who's in control of salvation. So he understands that if he wants to be saved, he needs the mercy and grace of God. Mm-hmm. He is dependent upon God's grace toward him. And in the same way, that's going to shape, that needs to shape his mission to the Ninevites. Mm-hmm. Right? If, God's, if salvation belongs to the Lord, if God's in control of who comes to faith in him, then Jonah needs to obey God and not question God. Right. So it seems like he's had some sort of awakening here. And in verse 10, the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out from the, upon dry land. Mm-hmm. So that's a lovely picture. And then in chapter 3, we see this, the same call repeated again. Yeah, rise and go to Nineveh. And so this time he does, right? Yeah. He goes and he preaches this message, and it's, it says it was three days' journey in breadth. That's chapter 3, verse 3. And Jonah, verse 4, began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So this is, that's his whole message. That's, that's the whole prophecy mm-hmm. right there. 40 days and you're going to die. Um, and it really, in Hebrew, this isn't even a full sentence. This is a sentence fragment. So Jonah's now going to do what God has commanded him, but he's doing it not full-heartedly, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and not giving the full message. Right. There's no introduction of who Yahweh is. Mm-hmm. There's no explanation of his grace, of how they can respond. It's just a message of judgment. Yeah, it's not even what he just prayed. Salvation belongs to the Lord, right? Yeah. So, so you're going to die. Unless, unless, yeah, and then that's it. Okay, so how do we respond to that? Well, the response is incredible. Again, the contrast between the pagans and Jonah is amazing. Verse 5, they called for a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least. So they believe God, they respond to God, and they they function, they, you know, they start to repent. And it actually goes to the king of Nineveh, the, the regional crazy. ruler. Remember who these people are, they're wretched people. They're, yeah. And they're, they're turning in repentance to God, it's crazy. Unbelievable, and, and I love this. He, he issues a, a fast for the entire city, for everyone to not eat food or drink water, for everyone to be clothed in sackcloth, even the animals. Mm-hmm. So every living creature is fasting. Mm-hmm. This is an extreme fast. But they're saying, they're asking the question, right? Verse 9 of chapter 3, Who knows God may turn and relent from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Mm-hmm. Who knows? Maybe this God, whoever he is, is merciful. Maybe he'll be gracious to us. Maybe, maybe salvation belongs to him, mm-hmm. and he's gonna and he's gonna save us. And so God, verse ten, relents from the disaster that he said he would do. So this is kind of, I mean, typically the story of Jonah when you're, you know we talk about it, it's the first two chapters, right? It's or it's the first one chapter, first you know first chapter. You you hear about the whale, he spat out. That's the end. <laughs> and it's very difficult when you read the book of Jonah to understand why it's ending on this note. Chapter 4 is a very strange chapter, but it really is so key mm-hmm. because it brings together the entire book. So let's look at chapter 4. Okay, so Nineveh has been saved, and Jonah's response is one of being angry, right? Verse 1, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, exceedingly, uh, and he was angry. Literally, the Hebrew is something like, it was evil to Jonah with great evil, mm-hmm. with exceeding evil. It was... He sees the grace and goodness of God when it's toward his enemies mm-hmm. as a bad thing. Right. So he's upset. He's upset. 
he loves the grace of God when it's for him, but not when it's for his enemies. And so he says, right, verse 2, he says, Oh, Lord, is, this, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disasters. So I knew you were going to be gracious, God, I, and this is why I didn't want to do my mission. <laughs> I didn't want you to save these people, right? right? These people are, are bad people, objectively bad people. And he says, essentially, kill me, God, kill right. me. And God begins this interaction with Jonah to teach him. So what happens here is strange, but Jonah goes out of the city. He sits to the east of it. He's sitting really against the city, looking at it in judgment, waiting for God to condemn it, hoping and praying that God will still destroy the city. Mm-hmm. And it's very hot there. I mean, the, the average temperature in the, in the hot months is over 100 degrees in Mesopotamia. So, I mean, blistering heat, very dry. And so God appoints... Verse six, a plant. So this big plant, we don't know what plant it was, but you know, big plant with big leaves to shade Jonah as he sits in his little kind of handmade hut that he built. And and Jonah is, is um, you know, loving this plant. This is, this is great, right? It says he was exceedingly glad because of the plant. So he was exceedingly angry right. in verse one because God didn't kill people. And here in verse seven or verse six, He's exceedingly glad. Same idea, right? But the opposite. Verse 7, but when dawn came up the next day, God appointed, again that word, appointed a worm and attacked the plant so that it withered. Verse 8, when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint, and he asked that he might die. So, so Jonah is very upset. He's upset because God, so essentially God kills the plant that he had made for Jonah. So this is a great plant. It's providing shade and comfort, and God destroys it. Right? And Jonah's very upset. Right? He, he loses it. I always think this is like when John Wick's dog got killed. You know, like That's how Jonah's response. It's like the same level. Um, he's so upset by this. He wants to die. And what God is doing is he's putting Jonah in the shoes of his enemy. Mm-hmm. So, so Nineveh was given grace by God freely, and Jonah wants God to take away that grace and to destroy them. In the same way, God provides grace and giving shade and shelter to Jonah, and then he takes it away. And he's, he's teaching him, right? Do you, can you live without my grace? Right. Can you function, even on a small level, right. an insignificant level, can you function without my grace? And so God re- asks him questions in verse 9. He says, do you, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And Jonah says, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. It's a little over the top, a little dramatic. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in, in a night and perished in a night. This was given to you by the grace of God, right. and it was insignificant. Right. And, verse 11, Should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? Don't forget about the cattle. Don't forget about the cows. So shouldn't I care about the city? Shouldn't I give grace to them? So this is a challenge. This is a challenge to someone who is self-righteous, who thinks of themselves, who's not thinking about God's mission for them. And this is a challenge to the entire nation of Israel. It's a challenge to us as Christians today. Yeah. Right? Do we actually care about our neighbors who are lost and without God? Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a great, it's a brilliant challenge at the end of this book to show the, the sinfulness in Jonah's heart. Mm-hmm. If Jonah had the power... He would be a genocidal maniac, right? He would wipe these people out because of their sins. 
Praise God that God is not like that. Right. That God is gracious and compassionate and sees those who need compassion and mercy and gives it to them. That's awesome. So Jonah, what a great book. It's, it's yeah. I mean, so, so worth just spending time in devotionally. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, God is sovereign and he's good. Um, cool. Let's move on to the book of Micah. All Let's right, Micah. Yeah, we'll just spend a little bit of time here too. So Micah is is also about the judgment coming upon Israel and Judah because of their sin. Right. Shocker, I know. So yep. You haven't heard that before. <laughs> and the judgment's going to come from Assyria and Babylon mm-hmm. because of Israel's injustice. So right. it's focusing specifically on the leadership in Israel and specifically on the Davidic king. Mm-hmm. So it, essentially, you know, how, how the establishment of of God's ultimate kingdom will bring salvation to Israel. So it's going to look at the, the current coming reality of judgment, and then it'll look ahead as well. I'm sorry, I have to, I have to just quickly say, like, yeah. as we get into the book of Micah, coming off the book of Jonah, I mean, it, it's pretty ironic, you know? Mm-hmm. You see a group of people that are totally against God and everything getting saved, and then you have judgment coming on God's people. Yes, absolutely. So that's pretty, I mean, if you just follow along the story, it's pretty... Whoa, what's happening here? Yeah, salvation belongs to the Lord. Yep. Yeah, he's going to save who wants to save. So Micah's name means who is like Yahweh. That's very important mm-hmm. because we're going to hear this phrase at the very end. Mm-hmm. So who is like Yahweh, who is like the Lord? Now, if you want to go back, we won't right now, but Jeremiah 26, 17, and the following verses references the prophecy of Micah. So um, at a later date, they're looking back and saying, Micah said this is what was going to happen, mm-hmm. and he said it in the time of Hezekiah. Okay. So Micah is attested to in other places, and it has it's, a, it's an important book for the New Testament. right? I love that the next few books in the, the, the Minor Prophets, there's so much about Christ in them. It's so easy mm-hmm. that it's, the hard thing is going to be making sure we touch on every Messianic prophecy. I mean, right. it's really low-hanging fruit. So we'll touch on some of them, not all of them. Chapter, let's get into this, chapter 1. So chapter 1 shows us that God is coming in judgment, and his judgment is terrifying and should not be taken lightly. Mm-hmm. It's a very serious thing. In verse 10, you have this interesting phrase. He says, tell it not in Gath, weep not at all. And Beth Afra, roll yourselves in the dust. So this is kind of like, wh- wh- where is this from? Well, if you've really been paying attention, I mean really been paying attention, <laughs> this, this might ring a bell. Um, this this has been said before. Mm-hmm. So remember, Micah is talking about the judgment coming upon the leadership in particular. Mm-hmm. Tell it not in Gath is from Second Samuel chapter one, mm. verse twenty. So in Second Samuel chapter one, if you can remember all that way back, Second Samuel one it starts off with a messenger coming to uh, to David to announce the death of Saul and his sons. Mm. And so David, remember, he, the messenger claims to have killed Saul. So, so David kills the messenger, right. and then he gives a lament right. for Saul. And in this lament, he says, tell it not in Gath. Mm. So tell it not in Gath, what he's saying is Gath was a Philistine territory. So he's saying, don't tell our enemies, don't proclaim, don't let them know that, that God has you know, destroyed the king, that mm. the king is gone. This is a shameful thing for us as a nation right. that we've lost our king. So tell it not in Gath in this context is pointing to the destruction of the Davidic line mm. or to the, of, at least of the Davidic king. Right. So this is, a, this is a big deal, right, to say that same word to hark back to the death of a king. Mm. So God's going to tear down the leaders 
in order to put the right leader in place. So um, verse 15, he mentions Adullam, right? The glory of Israel shall come to Adullam. Adullam was the place where David was running from Saul, one of the, one of the places. But right. So he was, he was in his wilderness time. So God is going to go back to the roots of the Davidic line, back to the beginning of the kingdom, uh, and start it over again. Right. So that, that's kind of a theme in the book of, of Micah. So chapters 2 and 3, we see an increasing attack by Micah against the leaders of Israel, the shepherds of Israel. And so God is, is criticizing them. He's showing how they've been, they've destroyed his people instead of building them up. Look at chapter 2, verse 12. I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like a sheep in a fold, like a noisy, like a flock in its pasture, a noisy multitude of men. So he's gonna he's gonna gather them in, he's gonna care for his people. Really, it's pointing to that God is going to be the shepherd of Israel. Right. So go go forward to uh, to chapter five. Um, well, we, we see we see more about the shepherd the shepherd king, but we'll we'll kind of just go forward here. So chapter five, verse one says, "Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us with a rod. They strike the judge of Israel in the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrata, who are too little." to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Verse 4, it's, I'll just I'll kind of just give me highlights here. Verse 4, he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Man, so much here. Obviously, this is the famous... Bethlehem prophecy. Right. So he's mentioned Adullam. He he's mentioned the start of the Davidic kingship, but he goes back even further to Bethlehem, mm -hmm. the city of David. Right. So when when the sorry, I'm looking forward to chapter to Luke. Right. When Luke announces, when the, the angels announce that a, a savior is born in the city of David, mm -hmm. the city of David throughout the Old Testament is Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. It's not Bethlehem. Right. So the fact that a king is going to be born in Bethlehem is very unique. Right. right. Bethlehem. Again, going way back here, Bethlehem is the city of David's birth. Mm -hmm. It's not the city of his dynasty. That was Jerusalem. Right, yeah. But that's where he was born. David was born in Bethlehem. Every king after David was born in Jerusalem. Mm. But now a king is going to come from Bethlehem. So God's going to go back to the very beginning of the Davidic kingship right. and start it from scratch. Mm. This is So the king that's going to come is not just going to be another king. He's going to be the true David, right? the one to fulfill all the promises. Hmm. That's what this is speaking to. So the Bethlehem prophecy is so important. Mm -hmm. and, and of course, well, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here by talking about Jesus, but you can't, you can't fail to mention that. Now, verse 4 says he's going to be the shepherd of his flock. So this king that will come, this ruler who is, is from ancient days, will be a shepherd. So it just says God shepherds his people. He's going to shepherd his people. He's going to do what the leaders of Israel couldn't do or refused to do, right. which is to rule justly. Right. And verse 5, that amazing statement that he will be their peace. He will be their shalom. He's going to bring peace on earth in, in the greatest sense. He's going to bring uh, wholeness right, and fulfillment of all God's promises. So incredible prophecy that we'll touch on a little bit later. Chapter 6 kind of indicates what human response should be. Mm -hmm. so, God, so 
they've been they've been disobedient. God is going to shepherd them. God's going to send a true shepherd to fulfill the Davidic line. But how should we respond? Well, the, probably the most famous passage in Micah, maybe chapter five. I don't know, but Micah six six through eight. I mean, this is super famous passage. I know a lot of people. This is their favorite verse in the Bible. With what shall I come before the Lord? And bow myself before God on high. Shall I come with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He's saying, what can I do to please God? What does God demand? Can I do all these great sacrifices, these great acts? Verse 8 tells us, Micah 6, 8, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Hmm. Lo- do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. So this is what God is demanding of people. Hmm. It's not complicated, right. and yet we still can't fulfill it. So <laughs> chapter 7, uh, we'll, we'll kind of end the book here. We see again reference to this shepherd king. This is such a huge theme in the book of Micah, probably more than any other book in the Old Testament. Micah 7, uh, 14, Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance who dwell alone in the forest, in the midst of a garden land. Let them graze in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old. Verse 15, As in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt, I will show them marvelous things. So God, there needs to be a shepherd, and he's gonna, God's going to shepherd them as he did when he brought them out in the Exodus. Mm. That second Exodus imagery of God bringing a true Exodus, true freedom, not just from bondage and slavery, but ultimately from sin, which right. is the true enemy, right? And then we see the final, the final end of the book of Micah, verse 18. <clears throat> Who is a God like you? So that's you're pointing back to Micah's name, right? Who is like Yahweh? Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression? for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Man, what an amazing promise in light of Jonah. Oh, yeah. Right? And we'll, we'll kind of tie this together, but incredible promise. And then he says, you will show faithfulness to Jacob, steadfast love to Abraham, as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Who, who is a God like Yahweh that forgives sin? Who, who can do this? Who can, who can redeem people that are sinful? And yet that's what Micah's hope rests in ultimately. Right. Yes, judgment will come. Yes, Babylon and Assyria are going to destroy Israel. But there's hope for the Davidic line. There's hope that God will be the shepherd because God is loving and God is forgiving. That's so awesome. And I love how it ties in. It's tying us back to the whole story and God's plan to save his people. It's, it's really encouraging. How's, how's the New Testament scene here? How's the gospel scene been gleaned from these texts? Man, so, so many things, right? Obviously, we have uh, the day of the Lord. Final we judgment. see a lot, right? Yeah. The kingdom of God in Obadiah that, that is fulfilled in Jesus. The judgment that's to, still to come, right? Mm-hmm. But th- there's a lot of things from, from the book of Jonah, right? Obviously, Jesus and Jonah have a lot of similarities. Right. There's, um, there's some, some obvious ones. We can look at some more subtle ones. But the obvious ones, Mark chapter 4, Jesus is in a situation in Mark 4 where he is in a storm, in a boat, mm-hmm. and he's sleeping. Mm-hmm. It's a very similar 
um, very similar situation, like strangely similar. And again, like it, it stands out to me because I, I can't imagine being in a massive storm where everyone's fearing for their life and just being asleep. Mm-hmm. You know, so I mean, I can sleep through a lot of stuff, but I don't think I can sleep through that. So this is very strange, but I think it's intentional by Jesus to, to make a parallel here. Mm-hmm. Now, Jesus is able to stand up and rebuke the sea right. and say, just be still, right? So he can command. He's, he is the same God who appointed the wind because right. he can command that. And he commanded the whale. And, yeah. but, but ultimately, in order to fix the bigger problem, which was not a physical storm, but you, know, you could say a metaphorical storm, that the effects of our sin in the world, mm-hmm. Which of course is what the storm in Jonah is pointing to—the fact that he sinned and run from God, abandoned God. Jesus has to be cast into the sea, just like Jonah. Mm-hmm. Right? He has to be—he has to be face the judgment. He has to be sacrificed on behalf of others. So this idea of a human being sacrificed to save other humans right. obviously points directly to Jesus. Right. Not only that, but he's in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights. Right. And and Jesus talks about in his ministry the sign of Jonah. Mm-hmm. Just as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, um, I'm going to be in the ground for three days and three nights. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to I'm going to be in the in the tomb for three days, and then I'll be raised again. Mm. So he follows this similar pattern to show. Just as Jonah, when he <laughs> arrived to the Ninevite city, you know, I mean, think about this: that the the Ninevites, that the town of Nineveh basically translates to fish town, and they had a fish god, and they believed they were founded by the fish god, right? So they worship fish and they saw fish as being supreme. And then all of a sudden someone comes along sent by the fish God <laughs> sent from a fish, right. right? And probably pretty obviously sent from a fish that would have shaken them up. Hmm. That would have been a sign to them of their need for repentance. When Jesus comes out of the grave after all these prophecies in scripture, the Israelites should have known, right? They should have known exactly what was happening. That he, that God is is real. That Jesus is supreme. That He's the King. That He's the, the Davidic uh, ruler that was promised. Right. And yet, of course, many of them didn't respond to that. Right. So the sign of Jonah. That's that's a big one. Um, obviously, Micah chapter five. We already mentioned it a little bit, but in Matthew chapter two, verse six, the the leaders of the Jews, the, the scribes, are consulted about where the Messiah is to be born. Mm-hmm. So Herod, after hearing that the Messiah has been born in Bethlehem from the, the Magi, um, he asks them about this, and they say, they point to this prophecy in, in uh, Micah, so, much, so Matthew 2, 6. So they quote from Micah chapter 5, pointing to the location that he's to be born. So mm-hmm. they, they, knew, they understood that. Right. And then Micah 5, 5, where it speaks about this, this Davidic king to come, who we know as Jesus Christ, that he himself, or it says that he shall be their peace, uh, and that immediately rings a bell for me of, of Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, where it says this. It says, um, chapter 2, verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. Mm. He's the one who is our shalom. He's the one who brings together what's divided. So... There are so many, so many pointers to Jesus. Obviously, he's the shepherd as well. We can talk about the right. shepherd metaphor and how important that is in the ministry of Christ. He is that ruler who's to come, who guides God's people in love and in forgiveness and not just in judgment. So, yeah, there's a lot there. Yeah, that we should go Gentiles into. being brought in. So many good things. Yeah. <clears throat> awesome. Well, God is good. And, uh, yeah, that gets us uh, part of the way through the Minor Prophets this week. Yeah. 
So thanks for joining us today for Daily Gospel. That's all we got time for today, and we'll see you next week.